hello and welcome to another episode of the Longball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two rowers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? Very good, man. Yeah, you okay? Very, very good. Very excited because today we've got a special guest. We're joined by Mr. Jamie Farr in the studio. By studio, I mean, I'm assuming our bedrooms or I don't know where you are, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm in the, uh, my lounge studio yeah <laughs> lounge, studio sounds, nice. lounge studio sounds good well look, thank you for joining us mate we had you on obviously as we were just saying before we started almost exactly a year ago in terms of uh where we are in the season we had you on i think in the first international break of last year that was very different we were talking about uh beninenses and b sad in that show still i think very good show worth listening back because i'm sure we've got a lot of new listeners now who haven't heard it scroll down right to the right to the bottom of the uh podcast list is number 10 i think uh that was a great chat but yeah no, great to have you on again mate really happy you could join us yeah thanks for having me well uh, we're hoping this show is going to be a little bit more of a relaxed affair than than what we usually do uh just an opportunity to talk about some of the things that maybe we have to skip over in our in our normal shows i think we should start with transfer deadline day which i thought was a lot busier than i expected it to be i certainly did not expect nuno mendes to be able to psg on deadline day obviously it was always on the cards that someone like him was going to leave but it came as a bit of a surprise to me I'm not sure if it was a surprise for you as well Jamie yeah I think so yeah it was um he's what he's one of those players who simply his talent is too big for the for the league I think it was inevitable that he he would go to a, a pretty massive team and probably wouldn't be one to hang around till you know his sort of early twenties or, or anywhere near the mid twenties. It felt like it was going to happen pretty quickly, but yeah, I was surprised that it happened the way it happened on on deadline day because the the main interest seemed to be from Man City, and then that sort of just seemed to cool a bit as the window went on. So to see PSG sort of come in right at the end, as well as the the fee, which I thought was a little bit low, yeah, I was quite I was quite surprised to just sort of see him up and leave I personally think they let the right player go because I, I felt like they obviously needed to sell someone to get some money in and in a way as, as an amazing talent as Nuno Mendes is I think keeping Palinia, Nunes even Pote is far more important to that sporting team than losing him and partly due to the signing of Vinagre I don't know if you agree with that, Albert, but I, I would have rather him left at the end of the day for sporting Do you think Mendes was easy to replace now that they had Vinagre? I wonder if they lost Palinia. Would he be? Mm. Would they have? Would they have had a ready-made replacement like they did in in Vinagre? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think, in particular, Vinagre is just, especially as he'd start the season well. It's quite handy timing in that sense that Mendes was injured, so it sort of allowed Vinagre to come in and get a few games together. And yeah, clearly that I think that must have factored into the decision that Amarim would have said to to the guys upstairs and would have been sufficiently convinced that okay I think we're okay in this position yeah but I, I must admit I was surprised how how sort of seamlessly and how quickly he's he's done that for sure yeah he definitely did seem to just slot in straight away and, and as you say it's probably for him and, and for sporting maybe now a good thing that Mendes started the season off injured because they got to have a look at him straight away and as you say maybe that took any doubt yeah out of their really. mind well let's talk about the rest of the window as a whole I'm interested on in both your thoughts here about out of the big three first, which clubs do you think have had the best window? Now, obviously, that might be quite difficult to, to quantify, but I think they've all had not too dissimilar windows in a way. But start with you, Jamie, I suppose. Which which of the clubs out of the big three have had the best window? And then also, conversely, who's had the worst? Yeah, well, I, I think 
for me, the the ones who've done best is Benfica. I think two of their signings in particular looked good on paper and have really quickly settled in. Juremchuk and, and Jean Mario, both of those two have just come in straight away and already look like two of the most important players. Jean Mario a bit more predictably, given how well he knew the league and um, very good last season as well for Sporting. Quickly on Jean Mario, because he seems like so much more of a star, have so much more of an influence in this Benfica team. I don't think we really saw in that sporting team. So in that in that sense, he has surprised me. Like how much better he seems to be looking, and how much more. Yeah. Like did, did you did you expect it? I mean, I know he's worked with Jorge Jesus in the past, but for me, it was I was actually pleasantly surprised at how much of an impact he's had on this Benfica team. Well, Jamie, do you think the relationship with Jorge Jesus was part of that because they played together when? JJ was at Sporting, right, mm. and possibly some of Joao Mario's best football. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it's definitely his best best football. Going into the the Euros, the 2016 Euros, he was uh, one of the best players in the division in a really strong Sporting team that was so close to winning the title. And and then you know they had so many strong players and such a strong squad at that point. Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's got anything to do with. Again, knowing he was only on loan last season and maybe being invigorated by a new settling a, a team permanently as well, which is something he's, he's struggled in his career. Maybe he's now thinking, right, I've got a permanent transfer under a coach who, is, as we've said, has brought, brought the best out in him. So, yeah, I think he's just playing with playing with confidence and, you know, he's got a manager who knows what he wants from him and vice versa. And, yeah, he's been brilliant. Yeah, they definitely had a, a really strong summer I had. Joao Mario down as my signing of the summer, basically. I think that's the best deal, especially on a free on a free transfer that we'll see this season. Although I think um, there's a chance Sporting might drag that transfer through court. I think they have uh, they have issues with the um, rescinding of the contracts, which uh, well remains to be seen how that goes. I I actually had Sporting down as as my club from the big three with the best summer. Although I did cons- I did strongly consider Benfica. I think Benfica definitely changed their squad in the best way. The reason I didn't put Benfica is I think some of the other business they did really brought them down in terms of the players that they let go for really kind of not bad fees. But I'm thinking about Pedrinho here, Carlos Vinicius, the way these players left the club, especially Pedrinho, who leaves, I think, for a net loss on what they paid for him, having achieved nothing. Uh, and really is just a wasted player who looks like he's going to go off to the Ukraine and, and really be reinvigorated and, and, and prove his worth. And, you know, I think that was a real kind of blot on, on Benfica's transfer dealings this summer. Similarly, Carlos Vinicius, who I'm, he's gone on loan to PSV. I think it's an option to buy for something like 11 million euros. I mean, this is a guy who they tried to sell to Spurs for 45 million euros last year. And it just, the dealings around that transfer for me were pretty awful. So that kind of dragged them down. I did just give it to Sporting because I thought, Eshgayo and Vinagre for me are, are two fantastic signings for Sporting. We've seen Vinagre already be important and Eshgayo, again, while Poro is injured, has been fantastic, slotted straight in. Agate, I think, is a fantastic signing who would definitely turn a profit at the very least, as well as probably making good impact. So players like Gonzalo Estevez, a young player they picked up on a free, who, again, I think will make an impact on the team in some point and, and again, be a profitable player for them. For me, the reason I liked their transfer was not just the players they signed, but the players they kept hold of. Players we've already talked about. Palina, Pedro Gonçalves, Mateus Nunes, uh, you know, maybe even players like Inacio. But the fact that they kept hold of 90% of the squad that they had last year, I think, is a, is a fantastic result. And I think the squad is in arguably a, a better place than it than it was even last year. Albert, I've, I've got to disagree because I, I agree <laughs> with 
I agree with Jamie on the Benfica thing. I Here think... we go. Not the first time we'll hear that in this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> well, no, just because I feel like, I, I really feel like, it's like I mentioned before, the, the players that Benfica signed are all coming in. And I, and I know you, I, I completely agree with you about the potential of, you know, selling Pedrinho and, and Walshman and potentially getting more money from later down the line or getting a better player out of them eventually. But Jorge Jesus just doesn't like them. And, and they've been smart and they've got players that they that he wants. And because I felt like last season, there was a mixture of players who, with the system, with the plan from Jorge Jesus, and there were some people who just didn't get it. And, and it wasn't gelling, it wasn't clicking. But now he's got his guys. And these are all starters. Uramshuk, Mario, those are key players. But Agate, Gaio, they're going to be in and out of the team. They're not going to be starters, in my opinion. So I think you've got to look at that influence on in the starting eleven, and that's why I've, I've picked Benfica. Completely agree with that. I think maybe it's just a personal thing, but I just dislike the way they handled so many of those outgoing players so much that it really kind of yeah, like I said, it just kind of put a blot on on, on my perception of, of their window. To say that Pedrinho is not George Jesus's player, he should be anyone's player. Like that's a great that's a great football player. I don't know how a manager can look at a player of Pedrinho's qualities and say that's not a player for me. This is a football player that really would be a luxury player in in most teams in in most leagues in the world. So I don't quite agree with that. Well, look, let's do let's do worst of the big three then. I'll go first. I think it's going to be quite obvious we might have the same answer. I did go for Porto. Now, I don't think it's been a terrible window by any means for Porto. I mean, uh, Pepe from Gremio, Fabio Cardoso, Bruno Costa, Wendell. Very useful signings. Very useful signings. I think they'll benefit from having those players on the pitch. But for me, the key thing is the players they failed to offload when they really needed to. And we've seen it in the past with Porto. The obvious one that comes straight into my head is Brahimi, a player that they allowed to run down his contracts and leave on a free, despite having a lot of quality. The players that they've got in a similar position is Corona and Mbemba, I believe. I'm not sure how many years Oliveira's got on his deal, but, you know, Sergio Oliveira, it felt like he was nailed on to go to Fiorentina. The move never happens. Jesus Corona, in the last year of his deal, strong interest from Sevilla. Deal doesn't happen. Chancellor Mbemba, last year of his contracts, rumoured interest from a couple of clubs. I'm sure they can find a buy for him. Doesn't leave. You know, this is a team that is struggling with financial fair play rules. They need to sell players and they've just not, they've just not done it. And I think, like I said, not a disastrous window. The players they've brought in are players that I like and I think can benefit the team, but they've just had, compared to the other two teams, very disorganised windows. Uh, and I think it seems like the squad planning's not really been there. I, I agree. And uh, obviously there was one or two extra impediments going on, but the team selection at the start of the season has suggested... That, that was that was the plan. Oliveira's been benched uh, in recent matches. I know I know that's in part as well. I think he had a bit of a dodgy performance on the opening day, but to be benched three times in a row uh, based on how well he performed last season and and years before that can only have been linked to primarily linked to a potential move away. And yeah, the Corona situation is a bit of a farce, really, because I think, you know, he even got the Portuguese passport, didn't he, which was supposed to aid one of these moves, whether it be to Sevilla or I think AC Milan seemed to be interested as well. And obviously, I don't know anywhere close to the ins and outs of what went on, but that seemed to be something that both parties wanted to happen and, and it hasn't. So I agree with you, certainly, because that's the thing that seems to stick out about their window is because uh, as, as you say yeah the recruits look good the squad's good if they can get these guys back on board which I think they should be able to pretty quickly then that's then that's fine but in terms from the perspective of analyzing their transfer window I, I 
you get the feeling that they uh, didn't quite go as as they panned out. So I think I think yeah, that they're they're sort of behind the the Lisbon guys for that reason. Well, look, I'd also want to talk about teams outside of the big three. We've all had a little bit of homework. I've asked everyone to pick maybe a team that they think's had a good window from outside uh, of the big three. Uh, I'm happy to go first. Now, my selection is not the most you know hipster selection, <laughs> but the team that I thought outside the big three that had the best window was um, was Braga. Now, there's a bunch of clubs I could have picked. Um, Gil Vicente, I was really impressed with. Estoril, Famalicao, Maritimo, even Boa Vista after their transfer ban was lifted. There was a number of teams I thought had great windows, but um, yeah, Braga was the one for me. Now, I, I probably wouldn't have picked them uh, before about a week ago, but then in the last week, they signed Jan Kuto from Manchester City on loan. And then on deadline day, of course, Diego Leite and Chiquinho both on loan. I thought, if you look at the list of kind of first team signings that they've made, Lou Medeiros, who they got permanently this, this window, having had on loan last year, window, Mario Gonzalez for 1.5 million euros, Lucas Minero also for 1.5 million euros, uh, Paolo Oliveira on a free transfer, and then, as I just said, Chiquinho Leite and Kuto. I think these are all fantastic signings. Um, Chiquinho and Leite particularly, I was so pleased to see those moves come through. They're both players that I really like and I think have been really underused and undervalued at their clubs. Chiquinho particularly, I think, uh, last year he only got a few minutes, but I thought when he came on, there were times when he came on under George Jesus and he looks really good. I think he got a couple of goals even in the, in the performances that he made. The thing I like about these signings, though, is that they're players that need to prove themselves. Um, so they'll be hungry. Uh, and they'll be eager to to get minutes, get some consistency. And I think Carlos Cavalli was a great manager to be working under. I think it makes a lot of sense for the level as well, just one step below the big three. So yeah, some really fantastic signings. The fact that Mario Gonzalez was available for 1.5 million euros after the season he had is incredible. Yeah, it's uh yeah, couldn't agree more. I I was I had Braga in mind too. And again, especially because you know they'd lost two big players, uh, Ishkaya and, and Fran Sergio. So I think they've, I mean, not necessarily directly, but those two deadline day deals really, really took their window up another notch. Do you see Chiquinho playing in the middle alongside like Maserati or do you see him playing playing further forward? Yeah, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because he's, I think he's quite a versatile player anyway. um, That I think was, you know, sort of attacking mid is his, essentially is probably his best role. But I think he was, uh, Jesus, I think, was starting to, was trying to use him a bit deeper when he, when he could and off the bench and to fit in with those kind of 4-4-2 and 3-4-3 setups as well. 3-4-3 certainly seems to one be one that Carvajal has settled on. So yeah, I think he can I think he will challenge for that for that middle role. I um I think at the, you know as it as it stands, it, it looks like it's it's Andre Horta who I like as a player but is probably not as not as consistent. So I think that place is is very much up for grabs, especially after Fran Sergio left. All in all, I think, yeah, really impressive business. And um, I still I still have doubts whether they can really plug that gap. I don't necessarily think it's going to move the team on to another level, sadly. But um, I think, as they often seem to be, they should be a, a decent bet for a, for a cup. And fourth place is just theirs, isn't it? It's, it's just no, nobody else's at the moment. So we'll see. I really like the prospects of um, late... David Carmo and um, Raul Silva, they all left-footed. 
centre back, so then you could have a back three of uh, all three of them. Definitely, we don't usually <laughs> could see. look a bit wonky. <laughs> well, I don't know why we think that though, because you quite often have would have three right footers. But anyway, I yeah, if I was gonna be, I agree with you, Jamie. If I was gonna be devil's advocate, I feel like it's a bit of the same old story of um, Braga getting sort of uh, some of the big three. This sounds really harsh. Big three rejects, you know, like we saw last year with Borgia and Spora. And but I feel like potentially these two, particularly late, I think gets them closer. It's it's better than Borgia. God, I think Borgia was a terrible bit of business. I'm going to come in now with my. I haven't picked Braga for my best one out of the big three. I've actually got my best rule. You, you mentioned now, but I think so many exciting signings for very little expenditure. And this is sort of because you. This is one of your figures of the week, Jamie, isn't it, Bruno Pinheiro? I think there's a project building there, and and the fact that they've been able to attract these exciting players like, like um, Giraldes, um, they've also got Barrow on loan, Patrick William from Family Cow, who I'm a big fan of, and, and I think all of those players are sort of um, are good enough to be playing for a, like a, a conference league standard team. So I, I I really feel that there's something there's something good going down down in Estoril. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, yeah, they would they were the other tip team idea mark too because. Um, and not just because of the start they've made. Yeah, you mentioned Gerard is a I'm really big fan of his for a long time and just yeah, he's one of those players it's been quite sad to see he's not been able to settle and play his best for a few years now for for varying factors. Yeah, he's just started to come in and uh, this look, looks like it could be ideal environment for him. And yeah, I think and and they've avoided as well something which you know, a lot of teams that are promoted, something that happens to them is that there's a huge overhaul in the playing staff, but they've kept kept that kind of general spine and balance to the squad that got them promoted. So I think it's important to, it's that fine balance, isn't it, of maintaining the momentum of a winning squad, regardless of what level it was, but adding proven Premier League talent to it. But yeah, again, it's, it's it seems to be that they've got the right balance and as you say, Albert, as well, it's done for quite, you know, meagre uh, financial total. So it's, yeah, it's an exciting, exciting time for, for the team. Jamie, have you have you seen much of Barrow from uh, from Porto? Because you know, this league is so good for getting like, young players from the big three on loan, isn't it? And, and there's always been the hype around Barrow. We have, I've barely seen him play, obviously, he really gets a chance for Porto, but... Um, a lot of excitement around the signing. Do you think? Do you think he's going to be an important player for Estoril? I think. I think he certainly should be. Again, he's a little bit unfortunate. A couple of years ago, he, the Conceição really liked, really seemed to like him at Porto, and he was starting him for some big games, and he was getting a, a decent run in the, in the first team. Um, typically, one of his, you know, a real Conceição favourites. He's got, you know, a lot of energy and a lot of desire and. And again, I think he's pretty flexible uh, in terms of positions over the pitch because even going back to when he played for, for, for Porto's B team, he often used to just play all over, all over the place in, uh, in, in that team. So I think that's what he'll bring. A key aspect for him as well is that he, he not only signed a new deal, I think he signed a massive new deal with, with Porto alongside it. So I think he's got... That should give him the confidence to sort of... Go, you know, go and do his year at Estoril and 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 play and and have that freedom to to, to know that he's got this big contract and that like the, the the Porto have got faith in him. So all he needs to do is just go out and sort of play his best. So yeah, and he, and he can only be enthused by coming into a team that started so well and 
and playing such nice football as well. I think that's really, really important. So, um, yeah, I think he's definitely going to be someone who comes in and improves that team a lot. I'm just, yeah, I'm just interested to see what, what uh, Pinheiro has got planned for him because, as I say, he's, I think he's a pretty versatile player in midfield. Is this still going to be your choice as well then, Jamie? Yeah, funny enough, it, uh, it was going to be Braga or Estoril, which is probably the, the boring answer for the, in terms of the format, but those are the ones that have stuck out, yeah. Well, I'm keeping track because that's twice now Barney's put the same answer as you, so uh, <laughs> very interesting. We're in cahoots. <laughs> Well, let's move on to to the season as it started. Obviously, only four games gone. Not really enough time to make any bold statements, but enough time just to kind of get a look at the teams for the first time, see how they're playing, maybe see where they might be a bit light. I want to assess how the big three have done. Obviously, Benfica at the top of the table now. Four wins from four games. Uh, Only team not to drop points so far this season. I think it's fair to say that, from me and Barney anyway, that are not the team of the big three that I would have picked to have been at the top of the table with four wins at this stage of season. But there they are. I think their last game against Tondela, where they won 2-1 and came from 1-0 down to win the game, was emblematic, and I think we've touched on it, of a new change that we can see in them compared to last season. It's a thought that I put out on Twitter after the game, saying, would Benfica of last season have won this game? That was the question that I had. Would that team last season have grabbed that last minute winner or even grabbed the equaliser and um, I know we've we've spoken about this before but I agree with what was said earlier really that there is a change in the side and, and the change seems to be that the manager can trust his players more now maybe it's as we say because he's got the players that he wants um, but for me I just think you're looking at a team with the players have more belief in themselves and the manager has more belief in the team and you know last year I don't think JJ was too shy about saying when he wasn't really happy with things, especially the squad and the players that he had. And it's obviously impossible to to think that that doesn't kind of seep through to the players and, and their way of thinking. So I think the fact that this year he's got um, a team that he trusts more uh, and a team that probably feel a little bit more confident in themselves, I think that's why we're kind of seeing them get over lines that they wouldn't have done last season, like nicking last-minute winners, like grinding out nil-nils against PSV with 10 men you know, when they really need to. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, it's such a cliche, but it's it's so true. We see it all across the world in football that that's what the, you know, the, the title winners of, of leagues seem to do and look no more recent than last year's sporting, all those late goals they were getting. And they are not, not the first as in this league in particular. Each one of those top three teams who have won the league over the past years or so, there's so many occasions where they where they have these moments. And and as you say, that's something especially Benfica and uh, Jesus were really good at for, for a number of years. So it's it's still quite a shock to the system when you had these moments last year and, and the year before when they, they they were losing these these home games, which, you know, again, all due respect to teams like Gilbert Stent and, and Tondela and stuff. Teams like that winning at, at Estadio de Luz was just impossible. It just, just didn't happen. So yeah, obviously, yeah, early days yet, but like if he's instilled that belief amongst the players that they can't lose this game, these games, and they can't afford to to drop points in these matches, as as that Tondela match uh, the other day indicated, then 
then yeah, then they're going to be difficult to stop um, because yeah, that's that's somewhere they've they've been lacking for sure. Especially as there was a little bit of pressure on the game as well because you know not a lot of pressure, but they'd seen Sporting drop points, they'd seen Porto drop points. They knew that if they won the game, they would go into international break top. So you know there was a little bit of little bit of pressure there. And let's talk about Sporting though. Obviously, they dropped points against Family Cow last week. Interesting result. It seems like Family Cow is some kind of bogey team for them. Um, I think there's something like since Family Cal have been back in the top flight, they've never lost to Sporting. So it seems like there's some kind of hoodoo there. But in my opinion, although we know what it's like in Portugal, being behind the leaders at any stage of the season is, is seen as a disaster by the fans. And it's really kind of really kind of blown out of proportion, in my opinion. There's no disaster here for me. I think there's nothing to suggest that the level of performance is down on last year. In fact, I think they've absolutely matched the level of performance they they put in last year in all their games. The games they've won, they've won really well. They're playing fantastic football. There's a long season to go, so you might, you guys might agree or disagree, but for me, I'm not worried at all. The signs look just as good as they did last year. I agree. I think, uh, yeah, they they are they are going to drop points in in games like that, but I think the other two absolutely will as well, as Porto showed. The week before, I think, or was it the same week? I can't remember. Yeah, I, I, I would not be concerned. They, I think they've, I think they've kind of carried on playing with that confidence. And uh, yeah, as you say, that's clearly some sort of hoodoo <laughs> from Alakal have got over them. Not sure what's happened there, but um, I'm concerned about um, goal scorers, Jamie. I think Paulinho needs to start scoring for me because last season, what Pedro Gonzalez was like 23 goals all season, and the next high scorer is like Nuno Santos and seven. You know, someone needs to be getting double digits as well as. As Pote, and because I felt like they relied quite heavily on set pieces for their goals, and which you can't always rely on. Um, so I think someone needs to step up. I think because I, I just I feel like I'm not saying they won the league down to luck, but there was a lot of situations which were thankful for just the, their dominance in the air from set pieces, and, and, and it has been very effective for them. But I, I don't think it's like you can rely on. Well, I think there's no doubt that that Paulina needs to score more. Because even in that half, his last half season with Braga before he went to Sporting, he his goal record had really gone down, um, having been prolific for about two years, I think, with them. So it's it's kind of a problem that's needed correcting for quite a while now. And I think yeah, there was a there was an impression that you know it's always difficult to move mid-season, uh, even if it's under a coach you'd work with and all, all the rest of it. So I think. This was like okay, get your preseason in and get cracking on a new campaign. But yeah, it's 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 a bit worrying um, from their point of view because as as you say, I think although Gonzalez looks to have picked up from where where he left off before, and uh, you know he looks like a he looks like the goal scoring element of his game is nothing wrong with that, and that was that was no you know one season wonder sort of thing. Yeah, they definitely need more help. Um, Things to correct, definitely, but um, yeah, I think as a as a as a unit, I don't see too many problems for them. Uh, be interesting to see how they cope with Champions League as well. Yeah, yeah, especially. I mean, their group sounds really exciting, uh, as as the others do, to be honest. So um, yeah, I, I think I think they'll be fine, but um, I think yeah, they're I think they're going to face a, a, a sterner challenge for the title than they did last season that's for sure yeah definitely I think that's what that's what we were predicting as well was absolutely back sporting to match the level that they did last year the issue that they're going to encounter though is that I think both Porto and Benfica will be a bit stronger than they were 
than they were last season. So it'll be about how they how they cope with that. Porter then, of course, same points, same goals, same everything as Sporting. So again, decent start to the season. Delighted that they've signed a left back in Wendell because I thought that was a problem area. Um, Barney reckoned that Constantine starting Marcano at left back was him sending a message to the board saying, get me a left back. He's got his man. So I think ultimately it's actually quite a, a balanced squad now, I think. Fullbacks look good. Strikers are on fire, obviously. Luis Diaz looks like he's ready to have the season of his life. Um, Joao Mario, a bit of a revelation at right back. So a lot of positives. I think they're a little bit lightweight at central midfield. But then again, as we touched on earlier, you've got the prospects of Sergio Oliveira coming back into the fold. So they were my tip for the title at the beginning of the season. I haven't quite backed down yet, although I'm still yet to be 100% convinced. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's a dangerous thing to ever to predict like that, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I think last season, it's either last season or the season before, I thought I thought Benfica would absolutely walk it, and then, and then just everything fell apart. But um, I'm intrigued. I, it's it's really difficult. It feels really difficult to call. It's nice that this it's a genuine looks like we could have a genuine three horse race because I know as much as we call them the big three. A lot of the time in recent years and, and further back, it's, it often feels like a two-horse race, sometimes not even that. So, yeah, it's nice. And, I, and it's nice that all three are in the Champions League as well. I think that's that's a good show of strength for the for the league in general. And I think it overall can only mean good things for the league. Well, let's talk about some teams outside the Big Three. That's what we like to do, really. I wanted to talk about teams that have impressed us outside of the Big Three. I know we've already spoken about Estoril. I think that's a team that's impressed a lot of people. The only team outside the top three still unbeaten in the league, which is very impressive. I know that they've obviously had, you could say, an easier start to the season in terms of their opponents, but you can only play what's in front of you and and they've beaten what's in front of them uh, really well. There was one team that I would like to start the conversation with that's impressed me the most and surprised me the most. Definitely Boa Vista, who both me and Barney, I think, Barney, we both tipped them for relegation this year. I definitely tipped them for relegation this year. And that was, you know, that was just purely based on the fact that they they only just escaped the bottom three on the last day of last season. And from then, on paper, I thought the squad had um, regressed from the squad that they had last season by losing Ellis and, and uh, Angel Gomez. But they have been absolutely fantastic. Obviously, they had a very difficult game on the opening day of this season. 3-0 to Gilles Vicente. That was before... Their transfer ban was lifted and they were allowed to register players. Since then, they've looked absolutely fantastic. I think Yusuf NG stepped up in Ellis's absence. I think Kenji Gore looks fantastic. I was really excited when he signed. I did. He's a player that I did rate quite highly at Nacional. I know it was obviously a very difficult season with them getting relegated. And it's difficult in those circumstances to step up as a um, consistent uh, player. But I thought he showed enough that he was a, a promising a promising player. And there's just been fantastic players all over the pitch. Brackley in goal looks great. Nathan, the new right-back, looks fantastic. Awazi, I'm the centre-back. Hamash at left-back. Akuto, the new defensive midfielder, who looks like an absolute rock. Um, there's just fantastic players all over the pitch. I'm not sure what you've made of them so far, Jamie. Yeah, I, I was surprised, uh, especially as you, as you mentioned, that, that transfer, uh, the, the registration issue, was really threatening to to derail everything. You know, even in early rounds of the Tasca Liga, they were naming, I think there were three, three, four, five players on the bench. Um, really restricted. 
and the squad was such a disappointment last season uh, in terms of the established and exciting players they brought in. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting squad. Uh, I'd be really interested to see how long this good patch lasts. Still, might be one or two names they might lose in the in sort of more international transfer um, markets. But yeah, I really like a lot of their players. I really like Gustavo Sauer. Uh, I like Yusufa as well. I'm I'm glad he's looks like he's being given a chance again. He just hasn't been regularly picked for for a while now yeah and i like the manager too and i guess that's the thing isn't it that, that that's really in- surprised me and you know i've got to eat my words really but like the, the players who have stepped up and sort of impacted on this good start of the season are, are players generally who were there last season like hamash like ng like sour uh, uh, perhaps players i didn't give credit for i think um <laughs> sorry i'm doing feels i don't know if Jamie, you've got a moustache very much like Javi Garcia is what I was going to say. I, I really like it. Because <laughs> I wanted to talk about Javi Garcia's moustache for a long time. And then, I, I, yeah, for the benefit of this, you've got a lovely moustache as well. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, uh, I thought I'd seen it somewhere. Um, yeah, what can I say? They're an inspirational team. <laughs> was there a question in there, Bonnie? No. <laughs> I just didn't know if Jamie would mind me saying <laughs> Well, Jamie, you did mention the manager briefly, and I'm interested in the manager as well. Jamal Pedro Souza. I feel like these results are a little bit of retribution for him because obviously, I mean, there's no other way of saying it. He failed quite spectacularly at Family Cow. I mean, the results that he he got at Family Cow were were quite dreadful. He left them rock bottom of the table. And I think, you know, that was his first job as a senior manager, I believe. And, you know, I think there was a lot of excitement about another young coach making their impact in the league. And it just completely backfired so I feel like for him this must be really really great as I said great retribution for him to to come to a club especially not any club in Portugal Boa Vista that's a club with a great fan base and a great history and and to you know obviously again early days but it looks like he's doing a great job there and, and if he was able to pull off a, a great season with Boa Vista it'd just be fantastic for him his reputation yeah I think I think in many ways I think the project was probably quite well suited for him really because of that first year at Amalakal, I think, you know, he did he did great, largely. And uh, it was a similar situation in, in some respects that there was a bit of an injection of cash to, the, to both clubs. Both clubs were probably getting bigger names than they were perhaps expected to. I mean, Amalakal came up from this, the second division and I think they were, they were top after about four weeks or so. Uh, and you know, I had players like uh, like Pedro Gonzalez and um, and Gil Diaz, who are both playing at big clubs now. It does seem well suited. I, I mean, I, I completely agree that the time at uh, America ended disastrously. And I think as as good as as that initial um, time with the club was, I think it was. I think it was his first senior managerial position. I think it was Marco Silva's assistant before, amongst many other jobs. So there's always going to be that lingering doubt when someone with that lack of experience comes in any good thing that they do can get amplified as as maybe lucky and and any bad moment is you know quite easily uh pawned off down to lack of experience so i think i think he should be praised definitely for the way he started especially managing that that transfer registration issue so my only concern is yeah is how long it will last uh, 
and if a few injuries to, to that team we could scupper them. But um, yeah, really like him as a manager. I think he play, I think he gets teams playing in the right way. So um, looking forward to seeing how the team develops because yeah, it did look a bit bleak for them uh, in the summer. But on paper, that squad looks looks okay. I mean, they're probably capable of challenging no more from from a, a sort of low top half finish. I would say I don't see them challenging for those six or seven spots. But who knows? In terms of other teams that have impressed or surprised you, is there anyone else you want to throw into the ring? Uh, I think Shield Ascent have started well. Again, a, a team that doesn't have as many resources and uh, experienced a couple of a couple of key departures in the summer. Again, I like a lot of their squad. I like a lot. I like the way they play. They do seem to be one of these teams that, um, even in the, uh, the the big contest, they seem to take these teams head on. I think they've got uh, potential this season, and uh, I'm yeah, I'm really excited to see how uh, a lot of their players gel together because there's there's a lot of uh, interesting players there well they definitely caught my eye over the summer Jamie I was kind of keeping track of teams transfers over the summer they've made by far the most transfers in the league they signed 18 new players over the summer so it really is a massive turnaround no big household names you know but just kind of putting this very solid team together of course the best bit of business they did over the summer keeping hold of Samuel Lino um, one of the hottest prospects in the league, in our, in our opinion. One of those new signings, of course, is a player that you wrote about as a figure of the week, Fran Navarro, grabbing himself a couple of goals on the opening day of the season. We always see in this league, the six European places up for grabs and five historically big teams who kind of grab them. So there's always that one team uh, fighting for a European spot they never expect. Obviously, we had Santa Clara and Pastor de Ferreira this year. Gilles Vicente were my outside shout to be one of those teams because I just felt like they were putting a really good, interesting team together. There's always that spot up for grab. And I'm not sure if you agree they could go quite that far, but what do you think their kind of their ambition could be this season? Yeah, it's interesting as they've got that, you know, the league has that extra spot now. And Passos and, uh, and Santa Clara really would have given other teams in the league that, that kind of confidence that they could, they could do that. Because I really think teams like Gil Vicente aren't that far off those kind of teams in terms of quality across the board. So I would like to see them do well. I think my only slight concern is perhaps a slightly outside of their first 11 is uh, I think there's a few question marks. Yeah, I really like a, uh, a lot of the recruitment they've done. Uh, there's still a few, you know, there's plenty of players they've acquired. I, I, I really don't know much about it at all. I certainly didn't know anything about Navarro before he signed, but he looks, looks very handy early on. I was going to say there's a, a lot of similarities between his signing and the Mario Gonzalez to Tondela signing. You know, two strikers coming on loan from Spain with not really much fanfare, but um, the opportunity to to make a bit of a name for themselves in the other side of the Iberian Peninsula. And I think that's interesting, isn't it? Because I feel like we we, we see a lot of Spanish players come to this league. You know, um, some have done well, like Pepelu and um, Gonzalez, as we mentioned. And then there's others like, um, this might sound harsh, but I also feel like Abel Ruiz has taken quite a long time to adapt to this league. But I feel like with Fran Navarro, if you were to, if it was compared to Abel Ruiz, I feel like he looks like he's got, he's more suited to the style. I think he seems like a bit more of a, a physical player rather than uh, Abel Ruiz, who's clearly very gifted technically. But um, uh, yeah, no, I think I've, I fancy Navarro to, to do well this season. 
Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's something that uh, struck me early on is his, how, how physical and a decent size and, and he looks like, like a sort of a good link man. Yeah, I, I think I think they've got I've got they've got promise and you know there's not very much expectation on them really. So um I'd like to I'd like to see them do well because I think they're I think they're a good team for this level. And as I say, I really think those teams that made that, that made the conference league, I, I don't I don't think they're very far off. Um those that, that caliber of teams. So um if they can get a little run together then who knows? Absolutely. Well, I think there's there's three Gil Vicente fans on, on the show at the moment. <laughs> I prefer the old badge. I've got to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, before, before we wrap up, I think we should just focus on perhaps who might struggle this season based on what we've seen so far. Nobody wants to, to talk about it, but we've got to be harsh. The one team that stands out to me, Jamie, and I feel vindicated in my predictions that look really like they're in for a difficult season is B-Sad now. I tip them to go down rock bottom. They've got one point from four games. I've not perhaps in the past been too impartial on them. I've kind of made it clear that I'm not the biggest fan um, for various reasons that perhaps we discussed the last time you were on, Jamie. Um, But in footballing terms, I think they had a very poor transfer window. I think the signing of Sandro was a bit of a joke, really. I'm not sure what he offers in terms of current ability I think they signed him for the player he was and not the player he is now they were linked with Solomon Kalu uh, a player who hasn't had a club since January uh, the signing of Carousel I thought was a relative high point he did actually look quite decent in the game that he played but ultimately I just think this is a club on the way down really and I think it, part of it does stem from the fact that in many ways this is a club really struggling for identity to put it nicely I think it's a club which hasn't really got a, a clear fan base, hasn't really got a clear future either. So I think, you know, that must be a difficult thing for the players to buy into, for the manager to buy into. I think we've seen no real investment over the summer. And I think that's probably come from, from the top down. Um, and I think it's also going to be interesting because we're starting to see fans back in the stadium now. And maybe last year when there were no fans in the stadium, the players could just kind of group together uh, and, and kind of play for each other, which I think they did pretty well. But this season, when we start getting fans back into the stadium, and obviously BSAD don't really have a, any kind of fan base, I think once that kind of mindset slips in, that this is kind of a bit of a bit of an in-between club, nobody really knows what's going on, I think we're, we're starting to see that filter through onto the pitch. And it's difficult because I know, and you wrote about them quite a few times last year, Jamie, I think, and, and I was almost quite positive about them last summer, last year as well, where some of the performances they strung together, they lost all their best players. Um, Cassiera left, uh, Ruben Lima left, Esgayo left, Krichuk left, of course. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think they're in for a very difficult year, but maybe I'm being a bit harsh. <laughs> uh, well, it's certainly been a pretty rotten start. I think the only glimmer I can, you know, there's a, a glimmer I can see for them is I think they've done some of the business they've done late on is all right. Carassa in particular is a guy, I say this is his sort of level, it, it, his level is a little bit above actually, because I think he was very good for a mid, sort of a mid table y kind of Bovista before. And another one of those players where, you know, the best will in the world, as soon as he signed for Porto, I don't, I don't think anyone saw that really working out. I like Rafael Camacho. I think that's a good signing. 
uh, on loan. It didn't really work out for him at, at Rio Ave last season. Uh, and I like Pedro Nuno as well, who is coming off a really bad injury. So there's a few question marks about him, but they've kept their young players as well, which is interesting. Like Ribeiro's rumored with some moves, and they've kept him, which is going to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and and for the past few years in particular, that that they're kind of um, under twenty three division, if you like. It look, it was quite a uh, quite prosperous, really, because like like you said, Ribeiro and uh, and Thiago Scaio came came through that uh, as well. I quite like T- um, Chico Teixeira as well, who's, I think he's a decent player. So I think, yeah, you know, they could end up turning to them, although I think perhaps their under-23 crop isn't quite as good as, as as it was previously. Yeah, a lot of the other businesses, yeah, it's a little bit unknown in many ways. Uh, there was no more, no bigger transfer window surprise than when Sandro uh, rocked up on uh, on his shores. I mean, uh, Someone's told them they're just down the road from the pastiche to not a shop. Yeah, I was going to say, it's fr- uh, from the outside looking in, it's a signing that doesn't make any sense for anyone apart from the fact that he can speak the language. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, to be, he's, he's a player who's got, rescinds his contract written all over him at some stage. Yes, like, exactly. At some random point, like, it'll be one of those players who'll be like, it'll be some random day in March and it'll just, it'll just the news will break that like, Mutually agreed to terminate his contract. He'll score a he'll score a worldie before that, though, I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, either that or or like he'll score like a big penalty in a in a, a game against Porto or something. Which he's like demanded, <laughs> he'll have demanded to take it. Yeah, yeah, the biggest profile or something. But uh, so certainly, and yeah, when I saw the the, the Solomon Kalou rumors, I just thought, <laughs> I, 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 that that just, I mean, it's one thing potentially seeing something lingering left in Sandro's game if you're then trying to collect these players. I mean, it's just, it, just to reiterate, Solomon Kalou didn't have a club since January. Just, yeah. to, just to reiterate. It, what it does, it, it adds in more questions to, to what is the, what is the direction here? What's, what's the plan? Like where, where are we going? Sorry, no, that is the biggest thing that I worry about is b mm. is, is what is the end goal here? Because yeah. they're in an ongoing legal battle about their identity, their name, their badge, they they really haven't kept any of the fan base from the Bill and Angel split, you know. So I just wonder what the long term goal is here. I think we're going to get to the point where the owners are probably going to start to realise that this is not a financially viable business. And you know, once that happens, who knows what what the future will be? But yeah, definitely, in my opinion, difficult times ahead. All I think that's about all we've got time for for this show. Before we go though, Jamie, do you want to just let people know where they can they can read your stuff? It's a weekly uh, column on the Portugal website, if I'm correct. Yes, yeah, yeah, portugal.net. Um, yeah, I do um, uh, the day after the final match of uh, each uh, game week of Primera Liga. I do a feature called Figure of the Week, which is a different individual to focus on who has starred during that weekend, be it a player or manager. Uh, and the idea is to do a different figure every single week throughout the season. So no repeats. Um, oh, brilliant. In, in years gone by, I just would have been writing about Bruno Fernandes every week. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you can find that on portugal.net. Um, I post uh, the, the article on Twitter as well, um, at, at FR Football Jamie. That's the Portuguese spelling of football. So um, yeah, check them out. And we'll make sure all Jamie's links are in the description of whatever 
podcast service you're listening to this on well yeah that is all we've got time for uh, if you did enjoy listening to the show you can leave us a review on apple podcasts or just send a podcast to a friend that you think might enjoy it if you want to contact the show you can find us on twitter at longballfootball or you can email us at longballfootball at gmail.com but listen that's all we've got time for so just to say thank you very much jamie for joining us uh, and hopefully we'll see you again soon definitely thanks for having me on yeah, cheers, jamie.